So this morning I'm breaking uh, a whole bunch of rules. Down here I've got a little Bunsen burner just to use indoors. I don't know if that's legal, so don't report me. No photos or social media, please. And I've got a whole bunch of fishing hooks down the bottom, so we're going to get to that just now. So you can stay intrigued in a fire lighter, which I got off a, a, a smoker in our midst. I won't out you. Charmaine just brought it to me. I've got no idea where she found it. Thank you, though. So this morning, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at just three verses. We're going to go quite concentrated. And we're going to look at these three verses in Philippians chapter 3. And I've entitled this morning, What do you hook your joy onto? What do you hook your joy onto? And so as we come to this book of Philippians again this morning, some of you in your hearts might be feeling a bit of fatigue, thinking we've been here for a long time, looking at all these different aspects of Philippians, and we're in a culture that constantly wants to move on. We want McDonald's. We want the drive through Give me the good stuff, and let's get, let's get on. Let's go, and we go through the thing quickly. And I, there's, nothing, there's nothing novel about something being new, except that it's new. And so to take time and to dig deep and to circle around and around is a a, a value that we need to relearn, that we let God just come and and soak us again and again and again in His Word. So that's what we're trying to do as we go through this book in Philippians. And really, as we get to this section of the book towards the end of Philippians, we want to be answering very real questions. If you're going through trial, if you're going to go through trial, In other words, are you human? We want this series to help you when you go through it, when you're in it right now, to be able to say, God, I I found out how to face my trials. I have a better understanding now of what I'm actually supposed to do to look like the godly man or woman that you want me to be as I face some of the darkest and the deepest days in my life. Right? Otherwise, you're just listening to a lecture. If this doesn't bring change in our lives, you're just listening to stories. Some of them quite bad. So, let's read together. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. Finally, my brothers, and it's not a only to male, it's also sisters. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Anybody heard that phrase? Just once or twice maybe in your life if you're a Christian. Rejoice in the Lord. Then he says to write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh though I myself He continues, have lots of reasons to be confident in my flesh. And we'll look at that in the week after we have Brad Huddersfield with us. So I want to start this morning by looking at this little phrase, it's safe for you. What does Paul mean when he writes to the Philippians and he says, it's safe for you? Now we live in a world that I think more than ever before, we're aware of the dangers out there. We have 24 hour access to news. So just think about the the, the earthquake that's going on in Indonesia or the Syrian war which is ongoing. If you lived a hundred years ago, you would have no idea. You'd have no idea the tsunami happened. You'd have no idea 9-11 happened. Many of these things which shape our worldview, you would have no idea about. 
tons of the dangers which face our children, we find from, we, we live through, you know, through Facebook and through what someone else happened and their kid fell off the jungle gym. So now we don't let our kid on the jungle gym. Or the, and, and you know, you look and you see all this fear going on in other people's lives. And so it piles up and piles up in our own lives. So we live in a world very, very aware of dangers and of remedies to those dangers. And some of them are just amazing. So we, we got a pool. My neighbor pulled it out. We put it in recently. And one of the first things we did because we got a whole bunch of toddlers is get a net. Right? You've got a pool. There's a danger. What's the remedy? Get a net and leave it on. All right? These are, these are dangers and remedies. Now, Paul, in this passage, is linking his ongoing repetition. He says, I know I've said it already, but I'm going to say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. And he's saying, this is going to keep you safe. Do you get that when you read the passage? Look at it. My brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same thing to you. He's talking about rejoicing in the Lord. is no trouble for me and it's safe for you. In chapter 4, verse 4, he carries this on even more vociferously and he says, rejoice in the Lord always and I say it again, rejoice. So Paul's seeing some danger and he's saying, I, I want to keep you safe from this danger. So what's he going on about? What's the danger he's trying to keep them safe from? Well, I think there's two and I'll, I'll go through them and the one is a little bit more obscure than the other, but you should quite easily be able to see both of them. Well, let's ask this question. Let's remind ourselves in the book of Philippians, what's going on in the context of the book of Philippians? What's happening to these Philippian people? We saw from week one, when we looked in Acts 16, at the birthing of this Philippian church, we see it's a church birthed in persecution. It's a church birthed in trial. It's a church birthed in trouble. And if God had not sustained it by his mighty hand, it would have been obliterated. Right? Do you remember that all the way back in week one? So they are church facing severe trial. Paul is facing execution. And we've, we know... As we've been going through the book of Philippians, we're looking at how Paul encourages them, how Paul gives them principles to live by. We know that we can insert what it is that we're going through. So whatever you're sitting with this morning, your anxiety, your stress, your whatever it is, you can insert it, not pretending to be the Philippians, but you can say that these principles and this encouragement out of this book is for me. So if we were facing all those things, or if you are facing a whole bunch of things this morning, what is your likely response? Rejoice in the Lord? Not likely, right? Sadness? Despondency? Discouragement? See, I think that that's one of the main dangers that the Philippian church are facing. They're facing anxiety. They're facing stress. Can I have a witness? Anybody? Can I have an amen from anybody? Anyone facing anxiety and stress in their lives? There we go. I hear an American voice. I think they're facing a temptation to depression and to despondency. At the very least, I think they're facing deep discouragement. Maybe they're trying to stand firm. But their own sin erodes and erodes and erodes the banks of the river. Anybody tired of your own sin? Tired of saying that was the last time? Tired of saying I'm going to get up again and I'm not going to do it again? 
Maybe the, maybe, the, maybe the deepest trial is the trial of God. Are you really good? The trial of doubt. When your marriage breaks apart. When you, when you have a career collapse. And I want to just I want to pause for a moment. And I want to pull it back from, from the fringes of the extreme, right? It's so easy when we preach to use the extreme example of the person with cancer, the person who lost a kid, the person who went through a divorce. Guys, we're going through trials, each and every one of us, every day that are like a thousand little paper cuts, right? And on its own, it looks innocuous. It looks like nothing. But when there's this paper cut of the paper cut of the paper, paper cut, we feel like in the midst of trial. Anyone with little kids knows that principle very well. Does God really care? And so the danger is that we leak joy. The danger is that we get desperately discouraged and we lie on our beds at night and say, God, I can't take any more. God, I'm done. I don't know what else to do. And surely in those moments, we're crying out and saying, God, is there a remedy God, is there a solution? And Paul says, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Now, maybe, maybe you, you're astute and this morning you're saying, man, Paul, you are reading way, way, way too much into those verses. Just this little phrase, safe for you, and you're trying to make it out like these guys are anxious and whatnot. So I just want to show you, because it's all over the place. I could take you to different places in Philippians. But if you go into chapter 1, and you look at verse 27, you'll see Paul uses these words. He says, stand firm in one spirit. Now, when do you have to stand firm? Then he goes on and he says, and, and don't be frightened in anything by your opponents. And then he carries on and he says, you're going to suffer for his sake. And then you can jump down, if you like, into chapter 4, where we haven't preached yet, but I hope you're reading it in your personal spaces. And Paul says this to the Philippians. He says in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. What's he doing as a father? He's looking over the shoulder into their lives and he's saying, I can see that you're struggling to stand firm. I can see that you're frightened. I can see that there's opposition against you. I can see that you are anxious about many things. And then he has this beautiful, beautiful verse, which we're going to get to in some week's time, in in chapter 4, verse 7. And we know this verse very well. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. And we put that on our fridge. And good. And it's in our little diaries. And good. It's good to be reminded. But have you ever stopped and thought, why do we need understanding that? Why do we need peace that surpasses understanding? It's because when you look at the situation, when you understand the situation that's in front of you, you have no peace. You have no earthly peace when you look at crisis, when you look at someone on their deathbed. It's not a peaceful place when we look at our world. 
But God comes and says, I'm going to give you a peace that passes that understanding. When you're looking at the facts and the facts are staring you straight in the face, he says, I'm going to give you peace where you should have no peace. And that peace, that peace is going to guard your mind. Why is it going to guard your mind? Well, because your mind wants to doubt. Your mind wants to say, God God can't be real. God can't care. But that peace, that peace keeps lingering in your heart. Because you know you're facing these crisis situations and yet you still feel peace. And God's saying, I'm giving you peace and it's guarding your mind like a soldier standing at the door. He says, you're facing the most ridiculous things in your life right now. I'm guarding your heart. Any of you ever felt like you wanted to give up on God, but you just couldn't? You just couldn't quite deny Him at the end. You went all the way in your mind. You went all the way to the end. And then you're like, but I still, I still can't get rid of the fact that I actually believe. That's God guarding, God guarding your heart. Now why is, why is Paul, I'm just, I'm just trying to prove to you that I'm not reading into this Paul trying to keep them safe. A whole bunch of my own stuff. These people are anxious. They stay stressed. They're facing despondency. They're facing discouragement. They're facing opposition. So that's the very first danger. The second one is a little bit more obvious because Paul calls it out three times. He uses this phrase, look out! When did someone last shout that at you? A beam was about to fall on your head. You were about to step out in front of a truck. And someone shouted, watch out, Devin! Look out! So Paul, Paul really helpfully shows us this danger with these words. He says, look out! For the dogs, look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. See, there's no neutrality in Paul's words here. He's not saying, consider. Consider, brothers and sisters. No, no, look out. Watch out. He's not, he's not having a table discussion. So what were these people? What were they doing? Or who were these people that so stirred Paul's anger in the book of Philippians that he, that he shouts out at the Philippians to watch out for them? He was warning about the Judaizers. Do you know who they are? They're the guys who, as Paul was going around and teaching about Christ and teaching about faith in Jesus alone, they would come behind Paul everywhere they could. And this is part of the reason why he calls them dogs, because it was like they were yelping on, the, on his heels, like a little Jack Russell. Those dogs are not really dogs. Or like miniature Yorkies. If you have one of those things, they're not dogs. They need another, another class. But they're like yelping on everywhere he goes. And this is what they're saying. They're saying, yes, Jesus is good, but you also need a little bit of circumcision. You need a little bit of external if you're going to belong to the family of Israel. If you're really going to be God's accepted people. And Paul has these strong words. He calls them dogs. Do you know that Paul saves his, his choicest words? For those who try to twist the gospel like this. You know that he has a lot of grace when you, read, when you read Paul's books. He has a lot of grace for those who haven't yet come to Christ. The, the, the Jewish people, he's respectful. But when it comes to those who try to twist the word of God, he goes after them. Dogs, evildoers. And then this little phrase, mutilators of the flesh. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. A commentator says this. The charge leveled against the teachers whose activities were in imminent danger to the community at Philippi is expressed in fierce terms. Dogs 
were regarded by the Jews as the most despised, insolent, and miserable of creatures, and as unclean. It was a derogatory title used by Orthodox Jews, by, by Orthodox Jews for the Gentile nations who were treated as Israel's enemies and therefore as gods. So not much has changed 2,000 years later when we call people dogs. Now here's what's so interesting in this little passage. Paul is deliberately refusing to use the word for what they are teaching. So these Judaizers are coming and they're trying to teach circumcision. Paul doesn't use the Greek word circumcision. He uses a word which means cutting. Our English translation says mutilators of the flesh. What that word is actually associated with is pagan religions. So the pagans would cut themselves. They would mutilate their flesh in order to try and get closer to God. They would physically be cutting themselves. Remember the story of of Elijah up on Mount Carmel. And it says the prophets, he starts mocking them. Has your God gone to the toilet? He asks them because their God hasn't come down with fire. And they start cutting themselves as they get more and more desperate with their swords. Now Paul uses this word and he's almost almost mocking them or, or calling them out. And then he goes even further and he says, we are the circumcision. Who's he speaking about? The uncircumcised Philippians. Guys, this is <laughs> for a nationalistic Jew. This is heresy. For a nationalistic Jew, this is the deepest of insults. You need to remember that circumcision, as, as, as blasé as we are around it today, right? Circumcision to a Jewish hearer was this, the sign of the promise made to Abram, our father. Circumcision was God's selection as a chosen race, that God pulled him out of all the nations of the earth and said, mine. Circumcision was the sign of that. It was a word full of promise and symbolism. It was the distinguishing mark of a true Israelite. It was sacred and holy. And now Paul cuts through all of that and he says, your mutilating of the flesh, your circumcision, your sign of the family of being part of God's family is like pagan worship. Your sign, your symbol of holiness makes you dogs and evildoers. saying these, these uncircumcised Philippian Gentiles are more a part of God's true nation than you are. So friends, what's, what's the huge danger that Paul is going after these guys? Like really, on, on first glance, like deeply ungraciously, he's going after these guys. What's the danger The danger is that the Philippians are being tempted to to place their trust in something external. An external circumcision rather than their full faith and their full trust in Jesus Christ who has circumcised their hearts. When Paul says we are the circumcision, they they are peddling, these teachers are peddling, I need you to get this phrase, Christ plus something. So in this context, they are peddling Christ plus physical circumcision. 
If you really want to belong to God's family, that's what you need to do. You need to be Christ plus a new Jenner. Fill in the blank. Now you might say, well, Paul, no one's ever asked me to be circumcised. And I, I sincerely hope you're right. I hope that's the case. But what is, what is today's equivalent? What is, what is the lesson or the principle we take out of Philippians? Well, it's this, that an outward experience of God, any, any outward experience of God without an internal reality to match that experience is wrong. Jesus plus anything is wrong. Now, our minds, our minds immediately jump to, let's say, Roman Catholicism or Anglicanism or anything where in our minds we perceive that they follow religious patterns as the addition to Christ, right? So it's Jesus plus my church structure. So we can be lip off the clip off a Saturday night so long as we're nice and dressed and and have our tie on, on on Sunday morning. That's where our minds immediately jump. And there's some truth to that. We, we all know a, a Christian, inverted commas, boss, who is anything but actually a believer. We, we all know people who, who want legalism and moralism and behaviorism as being added to Christ. We all know that, right? But... While some of those accusations are right and true, I think we need to look a little bit closer to home as well. And we don't often go here, but I think we need to pay some attention to charismatic excesses. Because we're doing exactly the same thing. We're just not doing it in such a religious way. So we do it like this. I'm going to dance. I'm going to shout. I'm going to name it. I'm going to claim it. I'm going to proclaim it. All the outward stuff. Is there an internal reality? See, the way that the religious people are dedicated to God is a good thing. What's the problem with it? They've made it part of their salvation. They're taking Jesus plus something. The problem with the charismatic stuff is not that we, don't, we shouldn't dance and we shouldn't clap our hands and we shouldn't have drums or any of that. Those are great but it's that we can do the outward stuff and we can learn the outward stuff and we can get all excited and internally nothing can be happening. Circumcision of the flesh without circumcision of the heart. How many more, do you know the phrase on fire Christians, the charismatics, we like to say that person is on fire. How many more on fire Christians do we need to see walk away from the faith before we realize that it's so much more than just behaving or learning some church way of doing stuff or getting caught up in emotional hype? Just like the most religious of religious sects that we could think of, our charismatic excesses are just as dangerous. Christ plus Nothing is what Paul is teaching. And that's the great danger that he's warning the Philippians about. All right, so those are the two dangers. The one is that we're facing trials. We're tempted to despondency. We're tempted to anxiety. We're tempted to stress. We're tempted to all of these things. The other one is Christ plus something. So what about solutions? Remember what Paul's trying to do? He's trying to keep them 
one or two of you are with me. What's Paul trying to do? He's trying to keep them? There we go. Come on, church! So, this morning I'm trying to do the same thing. I'm trying to, I'm trying to put a pool net over dangers that we see. And so if you're in this place, if you're facing trial and temptation and despair and anxiety and stress and any of, any of these things, what do you do? Where do you turn? How, how do you, who's, who's showing our young believers how to model going through a trial in a godly way? What does it even look like to go through a deep trial, all the thousand paper cuts trial? Like, what does it mean being a career woman and suddenly having kids and, and staying at home and all of that adjustment and identity crisis that you go through? Who's modeling how you go through that in a godly way? What does it look like? Or maybe your question this morning is, well, I've got a spouse or a friend or a child and I want to help them understand how to go through the trial that they're facing. And then Paul, Paul says, well, the thing that's going to keep you safe is I'm going to keep on telling you again and again and again and again and again, rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to keep telling you, rejoice in the Lord. And here's, here's what this little phrase, in the Lord, means. And this is quite important, so listen to this. It means because you are the Lord's. So rejoice because you are the Lord's. You know what that speaks about? That speaks about identity. We can rejoice because we are the Lord's. I can have an inheritance because I am a Hodson. I can have my dad's genes because I am a Hodson. I have access to my mom and dad on the phone whenever I want, or I can go and visit them if I drive five hours out to the Karoo. Because they are my parents, I have access to them because I am the Lord's. And then there's another little way that the Greek looks at this phrase in the Lord, and it can also mean because of what he has done. And this is an, this is an, it sounds cheesy, but an attitude of gratitude. This is cultivating, living in a space where we have gratitude in our lives. Come on in, Cubs. And you know, you know what? Guys, I have wrestled with this for, I thought, I thought I'd have this done by like Thursday and Friday and Saturday and even up to early this morning just trying to wrestle with this because it left me so dissatisfied. Just rejoice in the Lord, brother. If you go, I mean, what does it, it, it even mean? What do these people who rejoice in the Lord, what do they even look like? You know, is it like some modern version of like Sound of Music and they like just sing everywhere they go and kind of like, the hills are alive. And they just go through life like that. Or is it that, is it that guy like next to you at the office who like whistles the whole day and you just want to like, the cubicle strangle the guy. Is that what the joy of the Lord is? And do we have to be that person? Is that what we're supposed to be like that guy? I mean, what is, what is rejoicing in the Lord? What does it look like? Like practically, what does it smell like? What does it, what does it feel like? And so, man, guys, you're going to have to hang with me here. And I'm just trusting that the Holy Spirit's going to take all these different threads and pull them together. And if He can do that in our, in our minds and our hearts this morning, it's profound. Because let me tell you, I don't, 
Just say it like this. We are, we are a generation struggling with so many trials, so many issues, so much stuff is bombarding us every day. I think we're the generation who's got the, the most reasoning against our faith being pushed at us all the time. Anywhere you turn. So Paul gives two sides of a coin, and I, I want to show them to you, and just track with me, stay with me, concentrate, and let's trust that the Holy Spirit's going to bring this to bear upon our lives. So danger one, I said, was anxiety, stress, discouragement, our own sinfulness. This is what Paul's concerned about for the Philippians. We had an awesome prayer meeting this Tuesday night. There were about 60 of us that came, and we, we, last week we just spontaneously called a fast and prayer. But it was, it was so beautiful to come together and to pray. But it was also a deep reminder for me of how much people are going through. How much people are struggling in their lives. And then Paul just says rejoice. Find joy in. Be happy. Be exceptionally happy. I mean surely you say like Paul. Surely, Paul the Apostle, not me, Paul, surely that's the state we want to be in, right? When you're facing trial, what do you want? You want joy. When you're facing hardship, you want happiness. When you're facing depression, these are the things that we want, right? We want these, these joy and, and, and this thing in our, in our lives. But you're like, really? Is that all you've got? Like, I need solutions, buddy. I need you to tell me how. And that's where the other side of the coin comes in so beautifully. So the one danger is that, is that they're facing these trials and they're facing these tests. But the other side of it is like Paul says, no, but wait, but wait, that's not all. He says, you don't just fake it till you make it, Christian. Listen to me, you don't just fake it till you make it. Get your mask off. You know, like in, in Madagascar, like every time there's a crisis and the leader of the penguins is like, smile and wave, boys. Smile and wave. This is like sometimes how we treat crisis in Christian circles. Smile and wave, boys. Smile and wave. And like the ship's sinking. My husband's about to leave me. Smile and wave, boys. See, the other side of Paul's coin is that, is that so he says, so the one side is rejoice, rejoice, find happiness, find joy. And you're like, but how? And then he says, the other side of the coin is in the Lord. This little phrase, in the Lord. He says that's where you're going to find this true happiness. It's not just rejoicing. It's not just happiness. It's not just delight. It's saying where do you hook that joy? Onto what do you, do you, do you hook that joy onto? Where do you find it? Are you following me? The question that Paul's, or the, the safety that Paul's pushing us to is saying find your joy in the Lord. Now, Keep that thought right at the front of your mind. And then remember what I was telling you about circumcision, right? What's the temptation? What's the danger that Paul's worried about? That they're going to have Christ plus something. Christ plus something. What are the teachers, the false teachers trying to teach them? They're saying, well, faith. Oh, sweet, good. You've got faith, great. But you need what you really need is like a little snip, snip. You need something external. You need something plus. Right? You following me? So now, he says, they're saying to them, put your faith in Christ plus this thing. So yes, yes, in the Lord, buddy. Rejoice in the Lord. But also put your faith in, in something else. I mean, and don't, 
And this is where I'm really hoping you follow me. Don't we do exactly the same thing on our side of the coin? When it comes to where we hook our joy, don't we do just like what these teachers are teaching? Yes, Jesus for some of it, but then, but then, but then, but then, fill in the blank in the career, in my bank account. Where's our joy? So in our minds, we say, yes, 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 in the Lord. I'm going to hook my joy on the Lord. But what I really need right now, Paul, you know what I really need is I need to binge watch TV. Because I just need some escapism. I need to get out. I need, I need to be Harvey Specter for a day. <laughs> Victoria! So after, after we watch Suits, my wife just doesn't want to see me for like two hours because I'm just like, we're going to do that. And then we're going to just like, do this. And then we're just like decision making like everywhere. Because like, Harvey Specter. <laughs> but so we like, yes, yes, we want the Lord. But, but, but actually where we're getting our relief, actually where we're finding our joy is a binge watch of TV. Or maybe, maybe for you it's food. Maybe that's our escape. Maybe, maybe your escape is, is your career. Maybe it's drinking a bit much. That's a great escape. Just, I'm just taking the edge off. I'm just taking the edge off. And this is not just our students that I'm speaking to. This is guys in the marketplace. This is stay-at-home mums that... that, that they call the suicide hour, that five to seven o'clock when you've like had those kids. And you're like, I know exactly what Paul means when he says dogs. It's like, like all day long. And you're like, just, just take the edge off with a glass or two or three. Let me get really real here. What about pornography? Guys, this thing, I'm going to keep bringing this up again and again because it's a scourge of our generation. And I'm telling you, and when I sit and I talk with men, and I've, over, over the last 15 years I've spoken to, I, I can't tell you how many people who struggle with this issue. And the predominant thing, yes, there's lust. Lust is a problem. But that's not the only thing. What they're really looking for is some kind of escape where they are the man. Where that woman on the screen is not telling them, you're not enough. Is not saying, Whatever it is that is pushing them down, it's not like their boss or their, their wife or their whatever it is that's making them feel, and it's in that vulnerable space where men are struggling. There's an attack on identity, and that's why porn is so strong. That's why the pull is so strong. It's not just lust. And so we say, yes, Jesus, but I also want to hook on to this. Maybe it's fitness and hobbies, whatever. It could be a hundred different things. See, and the, the safety, the safety that Paul's pointing us to is he says rejoice, but the rejoicing must be in the Lord. And remember what that means. Rejoicing in the Lord because of what he has done and because of who you are now in the Lord. We rejoice. Jesus Plus nothing. Paul says, I want to keep you safe, guys. I want to see, keep you safe. You can rejoice, but it must be in the Lord because you are the Lord's, because of what he has done. I want to show you something which really struck me 
As I studied the book of Philippians, do you know that this phrase is really common in the Lord, in the book of Philippians? So I've just pulled out six different places where we find Paul speaking about different attributes in the Lord, right? So if you go to chapter 1, verse 14, you'll, say that, you'll see that he speaks about the brothers having confidence in the Lord. But then if you go to chapter 2, where Ollie was at, no, not Ollie, um, a few weeks back, we were in this section in chapter 2, verse 19. Ollie spoke about it last week out of chapter 3. I hope in the Lord Jesus. Sorry, I'm talking nonsense. You did speak on this. I hope in the Lord. So the first one is confidence in the Lord. The second one is I hope in the Lord. A little bit further down in verse 24, I trust in the Lord. Then where we are this morning in verse chapter 3, verse 1, rejoice in the Lord. Verse Chapter 4, verse 1, stand firm in the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 2, there's these two women that are having an argument. And Paul says, I entreat thee, I beg thee, I urge you to agree in the Lord. All of these phrases, because you are the Lord's, don't you know, agree with one another because you are the Lord's? Don't you know that you've been forgiven great sin because you are the Lord, because you live in gratitude for what He's done, you forgive each other? And then verse 4, verse 4, we've read it already, chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. And verse, chapter 4, verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. And so we see this phrase, Again and again and again. And now this is where I get my illustration going to try and help. Because I figured by now you'd kind of be, ah, I'm doing everything wrong today, like in terms of mothers in the room. This is like big fish hooks. All right, so what I'm trying to illustrate here is that all these things that I'm busy speaking about, right? Confidence. The first one I mentioned is confidence. So where, where are you going to hook where are you going to hook your confidence? All right? And now what I'm trying to, I hope these stay the right way around. What I'm trying to illustrate here is I've got two things. I've got a, I've got a, a string, which is obviously more temporal. It's softer. It's easier to break. And I've got a piece of wire. What do you think this represents? What's that? External circumcision. In English? This represents anything that is plus Christ. So whatever the gap is for you, when you're tempted to turn to something else, what is it? Your career, your family, your family determination to just, my family have grit. We just push through the trial. What is it that you, you know? So we have confidence. We have confidence in whatever that thing is. We place our, our trust, if I can get it loose, we place our trust. There must be some cool lesson for why they're turning. Ooh. We place our, our hope. No, we, we lost hope. <laughs> we place our, our standing firm. We place that. We take our rejoicing. And we hook it on there. Do you see how, how practical these things are? I'm missing one. There's our hope. We got our hope back. We place our agree in the Lord. 
And we, we place all those things there. And, and we're choosing every day where we get to place our trust. Do you know that? This is so practical, guys. Where we, where we place our, our trust or our hope or our agreement in or our rejoicing or our standing firm or our confidence. Every day, you get to choose what you're hooking on to. I want to just tell you a little vulnerable story. Yesterday morning, because I was really sickling with this preach and I couldn't get this concept. I didn't want to just say rejoice in the Lord. Yay! And I was really struggling with it. I got up early because when you have kids, they're going to wake up at like half past six. And I'm like, oh God, I've got to, I've got to get this preach done. And then the kids are going to be like full on all day. And you know, what a, what a, what a. And so I got up and then I was like, I was sitting there by the fire and I was like, man, God, I just, I feel disconnected. And then I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, oh, Paul, don't go there. You've got prep to do. Don't go like, oh, I need a journal. I need a quiet time. I need like, you know, just to connect with God. I just want to do my prep. I've got, to get, I've got this thing. And if I don't do it here, where am I going to find time? It's going to put pressure on Kate. Blah, 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 blah. Any of you who've been there know exactly how I'm feeling. Overwhelmed is the word. So I sit and I start spending time with God. Good choice. Yeah. Hook it on the right thing. About seven o'clock, my kids come out. One of them drops my iPad on the floor. Oh, I'm like, Dad. one of them, I won't say his name. And I, 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 I've just finished my quiet time, and I shout at this poor kid, and he just starts crying. Like, Dad, told you not to touch his iPad. And he just starts crying. And then my other little one is, is whining, bless him, but like whining. And by like, when, so Kate lies in on a Saturday, that's like her treat, and so she has to have some hope at the end of the week. And so when she came out later, she came and she just saw me on the couch. And, and I was just like, I was just like, I actually started crying. Honest, honest moment. I was like, babes, I just feel so overwhelmed. I feel like a piece of meat. You don't ever feel like this. And there's just, there's dogs just going at you. And just, they just never full. Like, well, like a pie, you know. And there's just never enough to feed the whole family. Like, it's work and it's this and it, does anybody ever feel like that? And I said, she's very gracious. And I said, babes, can I just go for a run? And so I got my tackies on and I know that just getting out and seeing the mountain is just always helps me, being in nature. So I got out and I started running. And as I was running, I was thinking through this preach. I'm thinking, this is what you're going to preach tomorrow. And so I literally started to recite chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul. I will say it again, rejoice. And for about 10 minutes of my run, I just said that phrase over and over. And you know what happened? I started to feel my spirit lifting inside of me. It's what David says when he says, I delight myself in the Lord. We have to learn some of how to do this. He says to his soul, he says, I command you, soul, is the language. Bless the Lord, O my soul. God's not going to set your alarm clock. We have to do some of this stuff. We've got to fight for some of this stuff. It's real. It's practical. It's devotion after devotion after devotion after devotion. When it doesn't even feel like it, like anything happened that morning and you're just like, I didn't have any experience of God. It's fine. We're still saying, God, not for our salvation. Don't hear me there, please. But we're saying, God, we're going to keep pushing in. It's, it's returning to our identity in Christ again. And again, and your father says something to you about you this or you that. No, I'm not. I'm finding my identity in God. And your boss says you this and you that. And you say, no, I'm not. I'm finding my identity in God. What normally happens is you say, yes, I am. And then we have to go and get into the presence of God. Then God reminds us graciously and says, Paul, that's not who you are. 
So it's again and again we come back. And it's a practical thing. It's a practical thing. It's, it's sinning and choosing instead of just saying, that's it, I'm just going for it now. I'm going to just live in this sin because I've tried so, so many years to beat this thing. We say, no, I'm getting up again. And I know I'm a hypocrite because I know I'm going to do it again, but I'm getting up again. Someone told me a story this week of someone who was fighting with depression, and it's, it's a hectic thing, and we don't make light of it. We're not going to give you some cheap medicine for it, but she was sharing with me that this person got up lacking courage, feeling, feeling like it was the worst day in the world, but standing up every day and starting off the day with this verse, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. When you don't feel like it, this is, the, this is the practical where the tacky hits the road. And you know, you know what begins to emerge is this beautiful picture that rejoicing in the Lord begins to fill every nook and cranny of our lives. Do you know, it's, it's a hard thing to explain how to do it, but you can see it when someone's doing it, can't you? When someone is rejoicing in the Lord, it becomes part of, their, of all of their faith, of their hope, of their trust, of their confidence, of standing firm. And you look at them and you say, that person knows whose they are. They belong to the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice because you are the Lord's. They are looking at God. You know one of the hallmarks of people who live in rejoicing in the Lord? Gratitude. They're constantly saying, yes, this is going on in my life, but man, let me tell you what Jesus has done. Let me tell you what Jesus faced. And it becomes what that person talks about, what they, they, their minds default to. I want to skip some of this. Do you remember last year, I can't remember which month it was in, a very close friend of mine was dying. She's in Somerset West Church, Estelle. Do you remember we watched the video? What was so remarkable about that video? That was, that was two weeks before she died. She'd been suffering with cancer for over a year. She was completely emaciated. She looked like, I don't know, like a, like a refugee thing. It, 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 she, but she wanted to do an interview to remind the church of the goodness of God. How do, you, how do you do that? That's rejoicing in the Lord. That's what I'm talking about. Now finally I get my Bunsen burner. And I hope that it lights. I had to repair this thing last night. It's actually for making. It's actually for making creme brulee. True story. I knew this was going to happen. Ah! So I got my lighter. Where's the CCTV cameras? <laughs> it's cool. So this, this is where I'm going to end this morning. But this represents trial. Right? It's going to burn you. What did you think it was? Oh, you had no idea. Oh, did you know? It's the Holy Spirit, Lachey. Come on, where's your mind? This represents trial. Who are saying you get to choose where you hook all this stuff, day after day after day after day. You get to choose when you're feeling depressed, whether you're just going to give in and have that shocking day that we all hate, where you're just that 
idiot to your kids all day and then two days later or three days later the air finally starts to clear in the home and everyone's like, okay, dad's okay, we're off eggshells. You know what I'm talking about? We get to choose. It's a practical thing. And I want to just visually illustrate what happens. If we, if we put our trust here in Christ, or if we put our trust here on these temporal things, when we come and we put our trust in these things, this is what happens. Right? Wow, so cool. That's what I wanted to show you with my Bunsen burner. Hey? Hey? But now, now we come and we hook onto Christ, and you can come and you can bring the trial. You can bring the heat. You can bring the stuff. And I'm not saying we're perfect. I'm not saying it's easy, but we're firm. We stand firm. Friends, this morning, some of us are going through very real things. Maybe no one else knows about them. It's just you and the Lord. You're just before God saying, God, this thing. What is that thing? Will you trust that the Holy Spirit wants to come and teach you to rejoice in the midst of that? I wish we had, I wish we had 150 of these things, blank, just blank ones, and you could write on there so you can do it in your mind. If you could come and hook onto Christ this morning, what would you come and hook? Let me pray for us and we're done. Father, this morning the the reminder is that you are the one that we rejoice in. We rejoice because of who you are, because of what you've done, because of what you've called us, because of what you've done. Lord, but knowing that as we walk out of these doors, even I really pray, God, that we're feeling encouraged, that we're feeling uplifted, but still facing the same circumstances. God, would you come and in your, in your power, Holy Spirit, shift our mind this morning in how we're looking at it, God. Father, come and challenge us where we're hooking our security or our hope or our trust onto a hundred other things which are cannibalizing your work in our lives. God, come and show us that we would take those things off the string and that we would hook them onto the solid place, God. Holy Spirit, you know where everyone is this morning. I thank you that you are the God who knows every hair on our head, our thoughts before we think them. You are the God who knows. Holy Spirit, would you just come and fill us afresh this morning? As we sit before you, your people, God, look deep into our hearts. Shine your spotlight into our hearts. Father, where there's great sadness, would you bring joy? Where there's deep mourning, would you bring comfort? Holy Spirit, the the comforter. God, where people lack wisdom, where we, where we don't know what to do, where we're facing decisions and we have no idea, but they're so significant for our lives. The Holy Spirit, the counselor. The encourager. 
I asked our guys to put worship at the end this morning, specifically so that we can come and, in a sense, hook our theology on the, onto the worship. That as we sing songs, it helps us to lift our gaze, remind us of who He is. So we're going to do that. We're going to stand, if you would.